0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So we're studying be the church. What does it mean to be the Christian that God has called me to be? Not just called a Christian, not just doing church, but to become the church. And we're learning from the book of Acts. And let me just refresh you some of the things we've already learned. In our first study, The church was a church that proclaimed. Uh, They proclaimed the cross, they proclaimed the resurrection, and they proclaimed the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. So that's something, as we reboot, we want to have in our lives, this idea of being the church who tells other people about Jesus. A second thing we learned, and we'll see all the way through the book of Acts, is their dependency on the Holy Spirit from Acts 2 on, and we're gonna see it again today. And the purpose of the church, the purpose of the church in the Bible is not simply to go to heaven. And the purpose of the church from uh, the, the Westminster Confession would be to enjoy God and glorify him forever. But on earth, we would ask the question, what does that mean? And so Jesus gave us the purpose of the church in Acts 1 and all the way back to Matthew 5. It is to be witnesses. That's why we're here on earth. To be salt and light for Jesus in this world. And we do it holistically, not just in our speaking, but in our lifestyle, how we treat each other, caring for the whole person as we reach out to our friends and neighbors in Christ. We'll say more about that in a moment. And then James, last week, took us into Acts chapter three and brought us into the realm of faith and the realm of healing. What a wonderful dynamic of just thinking what it means To put our faith and trust wholeheartedly in the person and name of Jesus for all kinds of things that we might pray for, including healing. So today, we follow that same story that James took us into the story of the man who is sitting at the great gate, beautiful, Peter and John entering into the temple. They go through this double arched gate on the south side of the Jerusalem capital there, and as they go into the gate, it actually was a tunnel, almost like going into a great Colosseum. They would go in through this tunnel, go up some stairs, emerge into the temple courts uh, onto what is now called the Temple Mount, And there in Solomon's colonnade, which was a series of arches, a portico area, Peter sees the crowd gathering and he takes the opportunity to share the gospel. So we join this conversation in Acts chapter four, verse one. And we're gonna find four themes here. It says in verse one, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking, they're proclaiming to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day so that you have the first incarceration the first outright persecution of the church but many who heard the message believed so the number of men who were believed grew to about 5000 so now just to remind you from acts 2 there were 3000 who believed Here we have 5,000 more who believe, so we have a total of 8,000 people. People who tell me that the church was intended to be small, uh, I I just laugh because the very first church, just a few weeks out of the gate, is now at 8,000 people. As we'll see later on, they have home groups, they met in small pockets, but they also gathered in large numbers in the temple area, and this was the only church in existence at the time. You know, on a side note, the size of the church is really not the point and never has been the point. The form is not the point. The function, what the church is doing, being the church is the point. So point number one here this morning, a theme that was deposited in the early church was persecution. So the chief priests are disturbed by the fact that they're proclaiming that Jesus was crucified by them and that he rose again from the dead. You know one way to think about persecution is the very word prejudice. We normally think of prejudice in just racial terms But the term prejudice is to prejudge. It is pre-justice. Justice Justice allows for people to be heard and respected for what they believe, what they think, or who they are. Uh, Pre-justice is having an opinion, a decision from the judge in advance, which is obviously unfair and Persecution against Christians is someone having a prejudgment that I don't like Christians, I don't like Jesus, I don't like the idea that they believe he rose from the dead, or they don't like the idea that Jesus is the one way to get to God. And so, because of that prejudgment against Peter and John, they are thrown into prison. We need to always remind ourselves that not only are we kinship to the persecuted church around the world, which I remind you is in larger numbers than any time in church history. In China, in India, in many of the Muslim countries, not because it's a different religion, but because they will not allow in many Muslim countries, Christianity to be practiced safely. And sometimes in our country, culturally, in a growing secular nation, there is a prejudgment against religion and then sometimes specifically Christianity. So the question for you and for I is, will we be strong in our faith anyway? I wanna remind you that Jesus said in his very first sermon, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the persecuted. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his object of persecution, the cross, and follow me. The apostle Paul reminded the early church in Philippi that you have been chosen not only to believe but to also suffer for his name's sake. So it's part of the deal. It's not the fine print that this may kill you if you follow Jesus, it's in bold print. The problem is we have in the modern church put it in fine print. You'll hear me or some other evangelist call you to faith, and I want to call you to faith at the end of this service today. We'll call you to faith, but we won't tell you that, by the way, your mom or your dad or your cousin or your boss may not like this. We need to correct that, because it's in bold print in the New Testament, and it changes my life as I become a Christian when I know that I'm not just signing up to be forgiven of my sins and to go to heaven, but someone may be prejudging me for my faith. So here, as we see this, we see that uh, Peter and John already are trained by Jesus to understand that persecution is part of the deal. And guess what? It makes me healthy, it makes me strong, it makes me think through how I wanna present the gospel. I wanna relate to people with kindness, with gentleness, with thoughtfulness in how I present Jesus and always trying to live my life in a Christ-like way but knowing that someone's not going to like it and what are you going to do? Will you suppress? your Christianity, hide it under a bushel, or will you to live, live it out, throw your shoulders back, and say, hey, Jesus told me. It's part of the deal. The second theme we see here is prayer. The early church was a praying church, and I'll explain why. Let me take us to verse 23 of chapter four. On their release, so Peter and John are released from prison They're warned not to share the gospel. Peter and John say, hey, you gotta decide whether we're gonna obey God and man. We need to obey God. And and they pass their first persecution test. So it says Peter and John went back to their own people, that is Christians, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when the believers heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed when they realized, oh my gosh, pressure is on, backcourt press. We need God's help. Jump down to verse 29. Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word of, of God with great boldness and stretch out your hand to heal more people, to perform more signs and wonders through the, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So now they're saying, Lord, bring it on. You see that, that, that we're in a def- defensive mode here. Our opponent has really stepped up the odds and said that they're gonna persecute us if we continue to preach the gospel. So now we need more boldness to preach the gospel and more firepower to be bold in praying for the sick. I like to think of prayer as the voice of a child simply crying out to our daddy. That's what prayer is. It's crying out to your daddy. Most of us have been around young children and you probably have some still in your home. When you hear mommy in tears or daddy in tears, the reason they're crying out for you is they know you can fix it. Your mommy, your daddy, you can fix this thing. So when we pray, it's the same thing. We're crying out for the person who we know can fix the problem. Now here's the problem with you and I. That oftentimes, we don't know that we have a problem. We can handle it. We're self-sufficient Americans. I got this, God, let me handle this. We need to be people that know that we are outgunned. We don't have the power. We don't have the resources to do this. I've loved the scenes in some military movies, more recently of Afghanistan in Iraq, where uh, the soldiers are pinned down by gunfire and they get on the radio and they call for air power. They're calling for air power and they're saying, where are you, we need you, we need you now. That's what prayer is. Prayer is just simply saying that we are outgunned. We cannot handle this on, we were never meant to live life without God. Now here's the problem, my cell phone. I have a category in my cell phone where it says favorites. There's about 15 people, staff and family, that are under favorites because I don't want to go to contacts and type in or speak in their last name and hope Siri can understand my voice. I want to go straight to favorites and speed dial because I need them now. Is God under favorites, or is God under contacts for you? Oh yeah, got it any prayer? How do you spell God? Where is God? where I, I'm, I'm searching because I'm not familiar with prayer. Prayer needs to become familiar, and God needs to be under the category of favorites, speed dial. One of my favorite prayers is, "Oh God, if you were ever God. Be God now. God doesn't care about the formula. He doesn't care about did you, did you pray in the king's English. Uh, he doesn't care about the paragraphs and that's something that often disturbs me that some people spend time just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph and, and, and it intimidates all of us. One word is good enough Help, and I have to believe that he knows what help means. He knows what, I need air power, I need air coverage now. The third thing is similar, it's power. It's the theme of the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31 says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. There's some kind of seismic moment going on here. The building is shaken and they take it to not only be uh, a sign, but it's actually the presence of God and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. They were empowered. They asked for it and they got it. So cool. The power of the Holy Spirit is something we desperately need in our lives. Here's what will show us our need for prayer and our need for power. One of the reasons that we are powerless sometimes is that we are purposeless. We don't see that what God has called us to, the purpose is so big, we need power. We get up, we go to work, We're just driving the five. When this COVID is over, we're driving the five, we're going into the building, we're working. I don't need God to do that. I can do that without God's help. And we begin to live our lives that way and so we're living 90% of our lives with stuff we don't need his help for. But the issue is we forgot our purpose. If my purpose is to go out the door and to be a witness for Jesus Christ, i.e., the face of God on planet Earth. Are you equipped for that? You, the face, the ambassador of the living God? Of course we can't do that. But that's who we are all throughout the day. And once I size up the purpose, now I need to size up the power. I need the Holy Spirit to equip me to fulfill the purpose. One of the things that derailed the church over the last generation was the whole debate as to when you receive the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I'm a part of both sides of the church. The conservative evangelical church was largely arguing you get all of the Holy Spirit when you believe and the charismatic Pentecostal church, which I'm also a side, part of that side of the church, was arguing, "No, nope, it's a second two-part experience. You get the Holy Spirit uh, to sanctify you and get you to heaven, but then you need the power, and so you need the second blessing. I wanna point something out to you. Here in this passage, the church that has already believed in Jesus that already had the Acts 2 Pentecost experience is now being empowered a third time or a, a second time, whichever one you're starting with. And as we go through the book of Acts, the refilling of the Holy Spirit happens time and time again. So much so that when you, by the time you get to Apostle Paul's book of Ephesus, he tells us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the point is not the argument when you got the Holy Spirit. Both of those arguments are past tense. Friends, I am not interested in your past tense. I am interested in your present tense. It's the only you we have. I don't have your old you. I don't have your future you. I only have your present you. And that's what God is interested in using. The you now who is being filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. So every day as I pray the Lord's prayer and ask for his will to be done in my life, I'm asking his Holy Spirit to freshly fill me uh, with the firepower to be a witness for him. Here's just a reminder. Friends, I know you're holy and I know you're amazing and I know you uh, you probably have had tons of experiences with the Holy Spirit and God, uh, but I'm really not interested in how high you jump. I'm more interested in how straight you walk when you come down. And we need God's help today. We leak. So all the filling we had before, we need afresh today. The final thing, I see in the early church in this passage is that it was a church, oh how we need this today. It was a church that was united. Look with me to verse 32. And all the believers were one. And the word one in the Greek means one. They were one in in heart and mind which is referring to motivation and intent and purpose. They were all headed in the same direction, but they were also one in terms of caring for one another because read on, no one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. So they became a generous people. Uh, they they had upper class, middle class, and lower class believing converted Jews in this 8,000-member church, and there were people who had lost their jobs, maybe people who owned a bread shop, and now because uh, they were under persecution, people weren't buying bread from their shop. So what do we do? Well, it says here that some of, and we'll get into this next week even further, that some of the wealthier believers from time to time would sell a piece of property to raise funds to care for the poor. The passage concludes by saying, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that they were there were no needy persons among them. For it says, from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I love the idea of them being one. Uh, What a thing that the church is needed to practice today. You know, if you look at all the different opinions that the church has, and I love the diversity of opinions, but we gotta lay down our arms. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, whether you you are post-trib or pre-trib or mid-trib, whether you're Calvinistic or, uh, or you believe more strongly in free will, At the end of the day, we gotta be one. Uh, And and it feels sometimes to me that we just spend so much energy firing bullets at one another, which is a kind of persecution that I call friendly fire. And I would say maybe one-third to two-thirds of my Christianity has been persecution from Christians. And we learn, Eventually, as we go in our following of Jesus to major in the majors and minor in the minors, celebrate our diversity, but find our unity. And this church was united. Let me read to you from a couple of verses in the epistles that follow Acts. 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If one member suffers, all of the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all of the members rejoice with it. And in Ephesians 5.29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. When I see someone who maybe has a different uh, liturgical background, different than I do, they worship in a cathedral uh, with robes and and incense and candles, Uh, I bypass all of that. I say, you are my brother in Christ and the early church, if there was someone in need, they cared for the need because that person is a member of the body of Christ. That person has Christ in them. Now, kudos to you as North Coast Calvary. Uh, the benevolent fund that you give to I'm just so thrilled that already this year you have cared for the members of our body during this COVID season to the tune of $150,000. That's amazing. You are a generous giving church but it's because you believe this. You actually believe the Bible that we are called to be one in purpose and we are called to be one in how we care for one another. I ask myself many times, where did Paul learn this idea of caring for different members of the body of Christ? I think he learned it the day of his conversion when Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he thought over those three days of blindness before he was healed, who is me? Why does he say, you're persecuting me? I'm not persecuting Jesus, I'm persecuting Christians. And he put it all together. When I speak against a Christian, when I gossip, when I slander, or I'm just divisive, uh, I'm doing it to Jesus. It's a heavy thing to think about. It's something that the modern church, particularly in America, that we need to grow up and become one church. I'm gonna pray, but before I do, I wanna ask and give you an opportunity to give your heart and life to Christ. You may be sitting here today with a friend who invited you to watch our church service or maybe you've been watching for some time and you never, realized the implications of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Well, guess what? Today's the day. Jesus was always calling people to decision. So I want to call you to decision. It's decision time. Are you going to buy the blue sweater or the red sweater? It's decision time. Are you going to rent this house or that house? It's the decision time of your lifetime. Are you going to follow Jesus, he loves you, he died for you on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and he wants to be the king and the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray right now that you would come into my life, that you would flood me with your Holy Spirit, I believe that you died for my sins, I believe that you rose from the dead, and I want you to be the king, the Lord of my heart and life. Wash and cleanse me from all my sin, for from this day forward, I am a follower of yours, a follower of Jesus Christ in whose name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, there's a number on your screen, and if you would just text that number and text the word faith, uh, I'm gonna hear directly back from you and we're gonna respond to you. It's just a way of personalizing this and saying, and, and allowing you to step into the moment and say, "Yes, I believe." Just look at the number, uh, type it in, and text it, and, and text the word "faith." F A I T H, and I'll directly hear from you. Let's go back to worship, and then I'm going to wrap up our time together. So we studied today four characteristics of the early church: persecution. Prayer, the power, those are three P's. And unity, they were united. And if we're to be the church today, we've got to incorporate those into our lives. So in closing, let me just ask you this question. Are you willing to die for Jesus? It's the question. Take up our cross and follow him. Persecution is a part of the deal. Do you know that your assignment is bigger than you? Your assignment is bigger than your abilities to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So we need to be people of prayer and we need to be people who are calling on the power of God. And are we ready to buy in to the idea of oneness, unity, that there's diversity of gifts, diversity of interests and personalities and idiosyncrasies and ethnicities and callings, but they all fit nicely into the one united body of Jesus Christ. So what all four of these themes have in common to me is motion. As you step out in motion in life to live for Christ, you're going to experience persecution. If you don't step out, you won't. If you step out, you're gonna need prayer, you're going to need power, and you will experience this unity, but you gotta step out in motion. If you are going to imagine when you were learning how to ride a bike, Suppose the person instructing you how to ride a two wheeler said to you, well, what you have to do is to balance and what you have to do is to pedal and then what you have to do is to steer. And it's all book theory, it's it's all knowledge, but you haven't ridden the bike and sometimes church is that way. You're hearing about pedaling, you're hearing about steering, and you're hearing about balancing, but you haven't ridden the bike. We've got to get on the bike, and it's only as we begin to move the bicycle that we realize, oh, this is what balancing feels like. This is what pedaling and steering feels like. This is what persecution feels like, and the need for prayer, and the need for power, and the thrill of unity. So, my friends, step out this week for Jesus. Let me pray a blessing on you. May God be with you this week. I'm so grateful that God has reached out and called you and touched you and and adopted you as his own, his chosen child. And now may God bless you as you shine for him, a witness for him. May God, equip you to be a person of prayer that prays often, leans on Jesus, may God empower you with the Holy Spirit to fill you day by day and may God give you a heart for unity with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Now go and live your life well, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.